Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Greetings and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, the Star Trek podcast on the Heroes Podcast Network. I am your regular host, Derek, and I have with me a lovely panel of people this week. It's our largest episode of Red Shirts and Runabouts in quite some time. I have my recurring guest hosts who have followed me on the 10 episode arc of Lower Decks, Zach. Hey, how's it going, everybody? And Ray. What's up? What's up? And I would like to welcome back my co-host, my co-haptain, co-captain. What did I say? Co-haptain. Co-haptain. Greg. Hi, Greg. (laughs) It's good to be back. And I I enjoy the title of (laughs) co-haptain. Well, that's when you cohabitate with your co-captain. It sounds like a Star Trek thing. Uh, I guess that's what Janeway and Chakotay were doing, right? They were... No. Privately, you know, no. no, that was um Janeway in Paris when they were the, the fish thing. <laughs> team, oh, Liz- team lizard babies. Uh- <laughs> yeah. We're digging deep with references already. We are. We are. We're going there. So we have a big, big episode for you this week for a variety of reasons. But first and foremost, to get this out of the way, this is. The final voyage of Red Shirts and Runabouts, episode 104, and it will be the end of the series. This is the last crew under my command, as it were, uh, for for the show, which is why I wanted to make sure that Greg was here to help send off the show since he started it with me over three years ago when Discovery first premiered. That's when we kicked off the series. And I wanted Zach and Ray with me as well, since they have co-hosted, guest hosted on the show many times, including uh, this whole run, this 10 episode run, short treks, reviews of the movies, what have you. Zach even joined us for one of the Mechba back in the day. I love those. Those were fun. And so, uh, 
yeah, so we'll we'll talk a little bit about that at the end here, but let's let's go towards towards the show what we normally do. We're going to cover some news. We're going to cover Star Trek Lower Decks episode 10, No Small Parts as well as the season as a whole. And then we're going to talk a bit about our hopes and dreams for Discovery season 3 before we wrap things up and say goodbye to the series. So, news. Janeway's back. Kate Mulgrew yeah. is returning as Janeway in Star Trek Prodigy, the animated show coming to Nickelodeon. I want to know people's thoughts. I want to start with Ray because she just started her watch of Voyager. So she's very new to the character. Oh Ray, God. what do you think? Put me on the spot. Are you happy? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, I have loved Kate Mulgrew for years. Uh, at, so seeing her and more stuff is going to be fantastic. And Janeway is such a fun character. I really like her method of captaining. So it, it'll be cool that, I mean, she's, Twitter is basically saying that she's going to be the Star Trek Miss Frizzle. And <laughs> if that's not the greatest thing ever, I don't know what is. That's fair. That's fair. Greg, what about you? What's your perspective on the return of Janeway? I think it's smart because I know there's there's naysayers out there about bringing, bringing an old school person back. But here's the thing is with like what Ray was saying, if they do it in a way on Nickelodeon where they can start introducing kids, you know, the 10, 11, 12 year old audience into Star Trek early, which is likely what they're going to do. That target audience for, for Nickelodeon is all over the place. But not only does Kate Mulgrew have a huge Star Trek presence, she stayed pretty involved in general with fans and online and interactions. She's always been a good, like, loyal Star Trek personality. But it's also, she's not the, like, Derek, you remember one of my complaints about bringing Picard back was Picard is just such a domineering personality. Mm. Patrick Stewart, even himself, not it's not because he's mean, it's just who he is. Janeway's not like that. So even if she's got a new cast and crew, Whereas Picard kind of steals the scene sometimes, Janeway's not going to do that. She could, but she's not. And that's going to be great because, again, like like with Lower Decks, you can take chances on an animated show that I think Kat, Kate Mulgrew will be perfect for, especially given her performances and everything else she's done, whether it's Orange and the New Black or any of the guest starring spots she's done on so many things. This is great. Zach, what about you? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm on board. Uh, you know, again, like it's an animated show, so there's a lot less risk. Um, but I'm excited. I I hope that we see her more as a uh, because I'm assuming based on the timeline that she is still Admiral Janeway, unless she's taken a step down. Um, I'm excited to see her as more of a um, a mentor figure to this cast. Um, and, and I think it's really cool, too, that uh, we will be introducing a new generation, potentially a new generation to Star Trek. And these are kids who, if, if they if they like the show, if they um, gravitate toward it, then they would be inclined to look up Voyager and, and give that a shot. Um, and, I mean, a lot, a lot of people discovered Star Trek after the 2009 film and then, you know, dug into the original series. And so, you know, there's no reason why this also couldn't have the same effect and, you know, be a resurgence for a new audience. And that's pretty cool. Plus, I love yeah. Kate Mulgrew. Who doesn't? Yeah, she's wonderful. There, There is some confusion because in all of the the press release information, the announcements, they kept referring to her as Captain Janeway. And yeah. 
I didn't know if that was just because more people know her as Captain Janeway, so it was just to make her more, you know, related uh, to the character, yeah. but... Or, or maybe she does. She takes a step back from Admiral, or it's in the 10 minutes between when Voyager gets home and she gets promoted to Admiral. I don't, I don't know. It's a little confusing about when that's going to take place and if she is an Admiral or not. But people right. who know me know that I love Voyager a lot. And uh, while I may strive to be like Picard, if I got to serve under somebody and I got to pick, I would pick Janeway. She's the captain I would want to serve yeah. under. I think the way she cares for and treats her crew is phenomenal. And she gives everyone an opportunity to grow and expand and, and test out their abilities. She gives people opportunities to solve problems, even when it sounds ridiculous. And I mm -hmm. am, ex I think that that carries over really well to a kid's show, right? It because does. the premise of this show is adolescents find a derelict Starfleet vessel fix it up and go on adventures. That's the, that's the premise of the show. So, you know, it is about learning. It's about finding yourself and coming into your own, you know, and those types of things. And she's a perfect kind of authority figure for that situation. She is. Yeah. I, I love one of her strengths as a leader was always that she was good at helping people find where their strengths would be best suited. Like it wasn't a, Oh, you know, I mean, in Kirk's enterprise, it's like, Oh, like, you know, you're bad at your job. I mean, beam on down to this planet for us and hopefully you make it out alive more of a cowboy diplomacy situation but with Janeway she she was very thoughtful and and very good at making sure people were in the best spot they could be and I, I loved that about her mm -hmm. well and it's something that I, I think of all the captains she always tried to see people's full potential as well maybe a little bit more than a Cisco or a Picard or especially a Kirk I mean Kirk knew how to use people well but Janeway didn't just look at what somebody had done. She looked at what they were capable of doing. And yeah. I think that's something that is great, especially because I know the, the four of us, we've all had jobs where the lead, the supervisors, they're not leaders. They're like, oh, Ray did this in the past, so she can do this now. And they might be like, well, Ray did that, but she's also capable of doing this. She's also, she's done A, B, and C. She can also do D, E, and F. And Janeway always did that. And I think the, her relationship with Tom Paris is something I always loved because, the, you know, early on, he kind of still was a little bit of a screw up, but she knew not only what he had, what he was able to do, but he could accomplish more, which if they're trying to do a target audience to really encourage people to, you know, grow and learn and take chances, you know, Ray made the joke, the Miss Frizzle joke, but it's perfect. And, you know, my daughter loves the Magic School Bus. She loves it because of the learning and the adventures and if they do something like that with star trek and i know there's gonna be people out there that whine this isn't real star trek i'm like eh, whatever it's fine you're right it's not it's animated <laughs> can't we just have some fun <laughs> well yeah I, I think it's important that you know just because something isn't for you doesn't mean it's still not official right you can have real star trek that's just maybe not for you and that's okay there's a lot of star trek at this point, you know, we've got 13 films. We've got what eight different series and we're closing in on 800 episodes. I mean, this finale of lower decks was episode number 788. It's a lot of content. And if 10% of it isn't for you, I think you're doing okay. Right. Well, it's something we've all talked about before. There's plenty of episodes on the, whatever you want to call it, the original tracks. There's plenty of episodes that I, some of them we don't like. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's why, <laughs> why is you don't have to like a hundred percent of something, Derek? You've been hearing me 
say this for years. You can love something and still criticize it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's there's parts of lower decks I love. And there's parts I was like, ah, it's kind of cringy. But I also got to admit, it's because I'm you know, 38. <laughs> I'm not exactly the target denominator group for that show. But there's plenty of it that I liked because right. I love throwbacks and they can do that with Janeway. And hopefully it's something we're like we're, we're talking about as a captain or admiral. Hopefully it's something as simple as, oh, she became an admiral, but everybody know, remembers her heroics as captain of USS Voyager or something. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I'm happy. Same. Well, and how cool is it that there are, you know, 11, 12 year olds who might have their first introduction to Star Trek be prodigy and then grow up with star trek in the sense that as they age they look up other shows and they, they watch the movies and and they develop a love for the entire franchise because um starting at a young age it's going to you know the different shows and movies are going to meet different needs as they graduate into different demographics yeah this is the gateway track that's the idea of prodigy right get them when they're young the target demographic is 8 to 15 for the show so well, and, and let's when we talk about including people now that all of us are, you know, parents, we can all say that now, <laughs> you know, when I was young watching next generation and Q who, which is one of the best episodes of star Trek, I think ever when Q introduces the Borg to the Federation, when I was, you know, seven, eight, nine years old, I didn't know what the hell the implication was. I was like, cool robots. These are neat. But now that I'm older, I'm like, you listen to the message Q was trying to deliver in the episode. It was way above anything that a kid would ever possibly understand about how arrogant you are and blah 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 he's trying to teach the federation that you know certain rules and what the galaxy's like but you can do that easier with like a kid's show to introduce people to so my daughter gets freaked out when she has a cut so today we put out uh we put a little youtube video about what the body does and it was about educating kids and she immediately started grasping it they could do that with the star trek show Definitely. Definitely. I know Ray's very excited to have our daughter watch this show. Yes, I am. <laughs> Thank <laughs> Just you. Just trying to pull you pull you into the conversation. No, I, you're absolutely right. Star Trek has been teaching adults and teens for such a long time, for 50 plus years now. And it's, it seems like such a no brainer. To have them do it for a much younger audience. First of all, the politics are much more on the nose. I don't know what people are talking about when they say that Star Trek's not political. It, it has been since the beginning. But like, the TOS stuff isn't that fun for me. <laughs> it's, you know, the I don't do well with on the nose stuff. I like subtlety. So the 90s and the current stuff is where it's at. Well, and I, you know, I think, we were joking about this before. I know Derek and I were that I, I'm one of those people that when I see like embarrassment on screen, it almost makes me like embarrassed. I can't explain it. It's like, I feel bad for the characters. Oh no. <laughs> Watching somebody embarrass themselves or feel shame. I, I cover my eyes during those scenes. Like I can't do it. I can do super gruesome and like really bad triggering stuff, but I cannot do embarrassment. Because I feel that secondhand embarrassment. And, so. and, and the older I get, the more I think that about like seasons one and two of Next Generation. And I, Derek, Derek knows this is the hill I will die on. If Next Generation came out today with how bad the first two seasons were, I don't know if it gets a season three. Because those first two seasons were pretty bad. 
I don't know that it gets a season two. Yeah, I mean, it was... Especially with the writer strike. Yeah. Well, the writer strike in season two would have killed it. And that's and that's what I mean. And that's what, Ray, you're right, is... You know, every, I'm glad people have their opinions. I think you can deliver opinions in a, in a good way. Like Derek knows. And oh, yeah. Like, there's parts of Discovery I think are kind of cringeworthy. Like mm-hmm. when... Oh, thank God, so-and-so is here to save us. I'm like, people don't talk like that. <laughs> I'm like, just just be appreciative of the cast and crew around you. But then there's parts that I think are just phenomenal. And that's normal. Yeah. You're not supposed to like 100% of everything. Right? I don't, I don't think. Yeah. If, if you do, that's a little sketchy. Well, and the es- I think people forget that. And yeah. the escapism that, Ray, you were talking about, and, and Derek, you'd mentioned it. So I've been playing Baldur's Gate 3 because the early access came out. My human ranger has got like an eight pack and he's six foot four or something that's not me obviously (laughs) but it's escapism it's fun i get to enjoy it and that's kind of what we should do with star trek is encourage people to take a chance i mean take a chance and enjoy something new because you know with lower decks and prodigy they're going to hit an audience of people that never watched star trek before Mm-hmm. definitely and i just want to say that i appreciate that you based your Baldur's gate character off of me well i've been saying for years Derek, that you've been kind of an inspiration <laughs> now the one change is he has longer hair though so so that's the one piece of yourself that you carried on uh greg was the longer, the longer hair yeah but everything else but that, that's what i mean is so i, I I can't relate to like Worf. I like Worf, but I, I don't. I don't understand honor and combat. <laughs> I just like Worf, <laughs> right? I just like Worf. It's, it's escapism. I want to see a Captain Worf show. <laughs> yeah, right. I'd still like to see that too. I yeah, I've been wanting that for a long time. But but you touched on something too that, and I think I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not even gonna try and quote the Neil Neil Gaiman quote, but uh, Neil Gaiman once said something to the effect of you know how you know fantasy or 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 sci-fi could be included in this as well it provides us with an escape but then it also um gives us the tools to deal with our real world world when we go back to it and i think star trek is you is unique in that it is an optimistic uh future and um it's it's possible to just escape and enjoy the simplicity of it but it's also possible to absorb some you know strength from characters and situations uh that is meaningful to everyday life as well so it can be a little of both and i think there's not maybe not enough media out there that that is willing to to do both of those and that's cool also can we talk about the fact that star trek being a 50 some odd year old franchise is just now branching off into trying other genres like yeah that's that's incredibly odd the i mean i know the 90s ones are incredibly similar but it it doesn't make sense to me that this is the first time they're trying to do um, legitimate animation or, and and I say that not to put down the TOS animated stuff. I just know that it was more of an afterthought Mm -hmm. to appease fans. I mean, you just, yeah. I mean, I can't agree with you more. It was not only was it an afterthought, but it was, it wasn't, it was a cartoon, but it was basically just, animated star trek <laughs> i mean the, mm-hmm. sto- the yeah. storylines are still more mature they're still more adult the fun thing about lower decks and something derek you and i talked about for years is with an animated show you can take chances and do things that you you can't normally do you, you can have a starship turn into a jellyfish that you know with live action looks kind of weird 
but it's a throwback to encounter at Farpoint. I'm, I know I'm skipping ahead, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, it's also the fact well, that Lower and- Decks is a comedy, yeah. right? And Prodigy right. is a children's show. And then mm-hmm. if you remove those two for a moment, all other Star Trek is adult science fiction. Now, maybe mm-hmm. Discovery and Picard are more adult because there's some cursing and there's some nudity. There's some Klingon nudity, right? But all of Star Trek from the cage, you know, up and up through Discovery and up through Picard has been adult content. None of it was made for anybody else. And it was all meant to be taken relatively seriously. There's always been funny episodes, right? Most of the Q episodes have some levity in them. There's lots of holodeck shenanigans and and there's always, you know, there's some horror aspects to episodes from time to time. But the series as a whole was just adult science fiction. Right. Mm-hmm. I've been I've been pitching for years that they need to make a, an adult swim esque kind of C Lab show with uh, the animated series uh, footage. Yes. That's you know like Sequest, but it, it's it's very much an adult show using you know the Enterprise crew. Like I oh man, I'd be all over that. <laughs> that would absolutely that, would be, that should definitely happen. Yep, that would be funny. amazing. All right. Well, let's do this. We'll take a short break, and when we come back, we will then dive headfirst into Star Trek Lower Decks. Episode 10, No Small Parts, as well as the season as a whole. We'll be right back. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, and we're back to talk Star Trek Lower Deck. So season one is done. It is in the books. Season two is in production because it was picked up for a two season order to begin with. So it's official. It's been renewed, so to speak. And our finale is no small parts. Uh, we've got a lot of ground here to cover. So I thought we would just tackle the, the finale a bit. And as we talk about that, if we talk about other aspects of the show, then great. Let's just get a couple big things out of the way here. First off, I want to talk about the heavy hitter in this, which is that there are some serious consequences that turn up in this episode that basically, at least for me, legitimizes the entire show, regardless of anything else that happened in it. And one of the big pieces is that they kill off a main character. Yeah, was not expected. So, I mean, oops, spoiler, no. spoiler warning. My bad. Uh, but they they kill off Shax. Shax dies, saving uh, Rutherford in this episode in a pretty gruesome scene where he rips out the uh, Rutherford cybernetic implants in his face. And, and, you know, he blows up with the pack lids. It's a very heroic hang in there, baby bear, it's a very heroic death. And it's permanent. They have a funeral for him. It's, it's crazy because 
we just don't get to see that much in Star Trek at, at all. And then they do it in this animated comedy. I, I was yeah. shocked. In the first season, yeah. Mm-hmm. Shax was the, the Tasha Yar of the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the one of the, my favorite things about it, and for those of you listening, if you have any familiarity with what we used to talk about on Red Shirts and Runabouts, was one of my complaints about Discovery was they, they kept taunting death, but they never actually did it. And mm. I, 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 I despise that trope because it takes a meaning, it takes away the meaning of death sometimes. And even, the, and even when the deaths did happen to Discovery, it was with a character we either didn't know or didn't care about or didn't know that well. Mm. But yeah, I mean, right. this they killed. Or they came back in the next season yeah. anyway. And yeah, exactly. They come <laughs> back. And, and of course, Derek knows I can't go a single episode of recording without mentioning Game of Thrones. <laughs> because death is supposed to be impactful it's supposed right. to it's supposed right. to not be that trope and you know tasha yar you know her death was pretty pathetic you know, tar monster i'm like really you couldn't have her like sacrifice herself to save the warp core breach or something it has to be this thing but anyways that's a different topic but they kind of redeemed it with the whole yesterday's enterprise arc and sila and everything but with shacks i mean yeah i mean he he dead. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. He, this, this is, and he was a he was a fun character. He's entertaining. I mean, the bear pack. I I still, you know, I still love the bear pack. He acted. Me too. He acted true to his character, yes. though. I love that it wasn't just like a. They didn't just write him off willy nilly. Like this is like no. This is how Shaxx would go. And honestly, he was living his best life. He was having a hell of a time. Like he's getting to fight off enemies. Like something he's been wanting to do more of, anyways. And then he gets to sacrifice himself to save one of you know one of his bear pack. And I mean, that was just, it was very on brand for him. And like, you know, he went out doing what he loved and what he cared about most. And that was cool. And his character was so unique anyway. Like we've said before that that character would most likely have been Klingon Mm -hmm. in any other show. The fact that there was a aggressive, warring uh, Bajoran was completely refreshing just when you compare to the other shows yeah so Shax was unique and his death was definitely impactful it wasn't just a uh i a ratings catch i guess Mm -hmm. that's one of my least favorite new trends in television is that death is put in at the mid-season finale and the season or series finale just for the sake of it. And it it doesn't make sense. I mean, that was really the reason why I stopped watching The Walking Dead after like season two, because it just got to be predictable and old. And I think while this still happened at the end of the season, it made more sense. And it shows that the show isn't just here to make some Star Trek dick and fart jokes. It's also here to really impact you to make you care. I think that's really key is to show that it's not just a comedy. And that's important to me because my favorite sitcoms have some really heavy stuff in them. Things like, like scrubs has some incredibly heavy moments in it. Futurama, which is, I think a good parallel to lower decks has some really heavy episodes. And that's important to me that you can get both right in a comedy. Cause I need to care about these characters. So I don't care about these characters. I'm not going to connect to this, this, the show. Well, you would lose interest. Like you would fall off eventually if you don't care about anybody. Well, and and that's something I noticed about Lower Decks, which is 
I, I'm probably going to get a little hate, not from you guys, but maybe potentially any listeners are. I actually connect more with the crew of Lower Decks than I did with Discovery because the Discovery okay. characters seemed like they felt yep. like they were too perfect. And Derek, you've heard me rant about that all the time. When characters seem like they're otherworldly, I just don't care. Um, they don't make mistakes. Right. The crew of this, they felt real. I've known people on my professional job that I would consider Lower deck staff that are just like that. They think the supervisors and leaders are all stupid and that we don't share enough information. When I was finishing that episode, I was like, damn, they're right. Because I complain about my <laughs> higher-ups not sharing information. And I know my, I know the people that work for me say the same thing. And something that Ray said that I want to tag on is, how genius is it to actually have a Bajoran security officer when the Bajorans have been fighting for like a hundred years of constant conflict and warfare, whether it was the Cardassians or the Dominion or whoever, I, it, that's basically the I, I hate to say it's the ideal security chief but it's it's exactly who you want in that position they fought more wars than the Klingons have in the past hundred years well and, and the Bajorans yeah. have always kind of other than DS9 have taken a back seat right you've got Roe and she's cool you've got a couple of side characters in Voyager they're not in Enterprise they're not in Discovery right and so we don't get to see a whole, a whole lot from them. And I like just seeing random Bajorans around, you know, that's one of the positive things that we've talked about with lower decks is because it's animated, they can have more aliens around because it doesn't cost anything extra, right? You're not putting people on right. prosthetics or anything. So you can have, Oh, look, there's an Andorian and there's a Bolian and there's, you know, whatever without inc- worrying about budgetary issues. And so I, I thought it was a cool change of pace. Um, there, there's one other character that gets permanently impacted. He doesn't die, but Rutherford loses his memory because of his implants being torn out of his face, which is a pretty gruesome moment. It saves his life, right? But it's pretty intense. And again, it's it's the show, it's Lower Decks showing that there are consequences, right? That there's, there's some permanence in this world that is important because one of the complaints of older Star Trek, especially Voyager and TNG is that reset button, right? You've got your years of hell and threshold and and things like that, where everything is fine by the end of the episode. That's not the case here. Here, there are lasting consequences and Rutherford's an example of that. You don't have to die to have lasting consequences. He still now has something to work through. I think that's my biggest problem with Voyager so far. So we just finished the first season and this is the first time I've really sat down and watched it all. And the writers put those characters through hell (laughs) that season. Neelix almost dies twice and uh, Chakotay is brain dead at some point. Uh, B'Elanna has her two uh, halves be separated like those are intense things that the very next episode they are mentally over they didn't need to talk about this or go through counseling at all or they're good they're fine everything's great well and, and so, that's you're right because and also look at ds9 with the dominion war or even the star wars prequels with the clone wars where there there's a huge galactic war and it's like you don't even realize it like unless you're watching an actual episode where the ships are fighting <laughs> like you go to earth and like oh earth seems fine it, I, I, I mean yeah. like you hear the it's all vineyards and soul food <laughs> yeah. restaurants it's like you hear the dominion took bajor and there's like no urgency i'm like they captured a capital yeah. world of the federation i'm like shouldn't you be like 
Uh, imagine oh, you mean you wake, when, they, when they got Beta Z? Not Beta Z. Yeah, Beta Z, not Bajor. But I'm like, imagine you wake up tomorrow and it's like, ah, oh, the, the Russians took Philadelphia. We're like, eh, it's whatever. It's Philadelphia. Who cares? But I'm like, oh man, my husband would care. <laughs> oh, we yeah. would be there tomorrow. <laughs> the, the first thing they did was abolish the Eagles football team. Um, oh god but that's what i mean is now it's personal right you're right is there's no consequences for some of the stuff that happens in the original track is the dominion war where there's multiple billions mm-hmm. dead and they're like you know like like uh, zach was joking ah, i'm kind of feeling like cajun food tonight i don't know about you guys <laughs> shouldn't you care right? <laughs> does anybody care now there's some right. other cool stuff in in the finale that that's definitely worth touching on uh the 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 antagonists are the Packlids, who we have not seen in a long, long time. They're not in Voyager. They're not in DS9, to my memory. They're not in Enterprise. And they... Rightfully so. <laughs> this is the best way to bring it them back. It was so cool. Like, they took what, in my opinion, is probably the worst alien species that they've had in Star Trek and actually made them very interesting. I'm very curious about them now. I now want to know more about the Packlids. Yeah, I was gonna say like, who are they? Because <laughs> I've never heard them be discussed. So or... oh, they're man. from TNG. Watch that one episode. Oh. That one. They're from episode. TNG. They are a species that has essentially stolen all of their technology, and so okay. they are not smart. Technically, they're not technically intelligent people. They don't really understand the technology that they've stolen. They've, you know, so they have warp drive and they have advanced weaponry and starships, but they they didn't create any of that technology. They don't really understand it. So, like, you know, they kidnap Jordy at one point to make their ship to make their ship go. Right. It's like how they talk. They talk very dumbed down. It's kind of. A lot of people took offense to it, thinking that it's kind of a knock on people who have some mental challenges, and it's not done tastefully. I can I can say mm-hmm. that. It's not good. It's not a good look. Uh, and they were basically dropped to never be seen again. And I like this. I like the idea that, yeah, maybe they're not as smart as Vulcans are, but they're very resourceful. They're very courageous. They're very determined. And they've managed to pull together very sophisticated technology from what they say 20 different species mm-hmm. to put together these battleships that you know the, the scimitar would have had a hard time taking down <laughs> well you know and, and of course in good star trek fashion they never explain like how they're able to steal all this technology because <laughs> it, since i already made one D reference if this was dungeon and dragons they would have like a wisdom and intelligence scores of like four right and, like yes. and, like barely able to function but, but they rolled a couple nat 20s. You yeah, know? They, got like, <laughs> they got like, yeah, a good initiative and they've got good like charisma to convince people to maybe help them or something. But it's maybe a couple weird blessings. <laughs> here yeah, and exactly. There. Yeah. By the way, CBS, if you're listening, a D&D version of Star Trek might be kind of fun. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I like that the ships all look different, right? Because they're just scavenged parts from different ships. And so they don't even match. That was really cool. It was very neat. I liked it. I liked that they were just, they're tearing apart the ship. They don't really, there's no like process to it that they really have, you know, nailed down. They they still think every ship is the Enterprise, right? Because they don't really <laughs> yeah. know what they're saying. And then, of course, 
Which I totally relate to because until (laughs) as an outsider, until I was a fan, all the saucers and nacelles and everything, I was like, they're all the same. What do you mean you like different chefs? Like, how are they not the same? So I totally relate to that. That is completely on brand for me. And Greg and I did like a three part series just on Starfleet ships. I mean, we we could have done 30 more episodes too. But one of the coolest moments in recent Star Trek, at least for me, comes in in the climax of the battle when yeah. another ship is coming. I feel like Adam Scott needed to be there to. to, <laughs> to uh. But the Titan flies in the Titan, which is Riker's ship that he goes off to at the end of Nemesis that we never get to see in canon. It's, it's on some book covers. It's been on some book covers for 15 years but it's finally real. It's canon, and it is a gorgeous freaking ship. It is. It is. It was pretty. Um, and I love that. I don't know if you guys watched the after show uh, for this particular episode, but you know they had the the producers and they had all the actors on, and, and Frakes, of course, you know made an appearance, and they spent some time discussing why why is Riker a little bit unhinged in this episode compared to when we last saw him. And it was an intentional decision on their part to explore what Riker would look like. He's He's got his own ship now and he's got his wife and he's just living his best life. And so, you know, post nemesis, you know, he's lost a close friend, you know, a number of years back data that I'm sure he's still grieving uh, to some extent, both him and Troy, but he's just out there living it up. Uh, and the whole connection between Riker and Mariner was a lot of fun um there was just some great quality stuff there and there was a little i, I just rewatched it tonight before the podcast but there was a little one-off uh comment between Riker and um oh gosh mariner's mom Free- freeman. Freeman. freeman freeman thank you yeah there, there was a one-off comment that made it sound like uh he was maybe freeman's self-appointed um mentor much the, the same way that mariner was to boimler this season uh, and, and Boimler and, and uh, Riker definitely have very much the same energy. They're very, very much kindred spirits in this episode. And that, that was a lot of fun. It's a cool moment. Uh, I get sucked in by the ship and having Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis back for their characters. It was a wonderful surprise. The ship was spoiled for it me by, by some news outlets, but the cameos were not. And that was really kind of fun because we got to see them in Picard you know, as their modern day selves, but here we get to see them as their, their younger selves, the way we basically last saw them in the films. And that was kind of, that was cool. That was really cool to see. Mm-hmm. And Riker's of course, Mariner's uh, source for all of her contraband. <laughs> right. Yes. And it has been confirmed that the start of season two, Boimler is on the Titan still. And Jonathan Frakes yeah. is returning. Marina Sirtis is not, but Jonathan Frakes is. So I, I don't think Boimler will be on the Titan for long. I give him two, three episodes tops. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's since it's animated, he could be on there for years and it it doesn't matter. You know, they're not building two different sets. So it's totally right. possible. True. It is. I just I just think that his relationship with Mariner and then the way their friendship has evolved, that it's unlikely they will keep those two apart for very long. Oh, you're totally right. Yeah. But just saying, like, practically, it, it can be done. Yeah. We could get a whole um, 
Titan um, animated series at some point. That was the oh, whole point please. of this. <laughs> they got yeah, tired the of pilot. pitching it. Yeah. Please, please, please. Make it happen, CBS. So one thing I want to point out. Oh, I'm sorry, Greg. Go ahead. No, no, I was just, I was waiting. No, the only thing I was thinking of is uh, because the ending of Picard annoyed me so much with the Titan. Because and what the re- the main reason it annoyed me is because the huge the whole fleet shows up right. Oh, that's not the Titan. Those no, are it's not the ships. Titan. It's different ships. What I mean yeah. with Riker and companies, they show up with because the last time we saw Riker on screen, I liked it because this is a little bit more of a redemption. This is the Riker that I that kind of know and love because Riker, you know, the Romulans like all right, we're going to leave, and Riker just trusts them and immediately leaves. And I'm like, Commander Captain Riker would not do that. <laughs> he would he would leave behind a task force to make sure that the Romulans don't do what a Romulan does is turn around and come right back. Which, which is what I would do if I was the Romulans, and this is kind of the, the Riker that they always kind of hinted at, like you were talking, like Ed Derek, you've been educating me about the books and everything. You can kind of, you can do stuff like that with animated. That is just, it's fun. We get to see Riker and Troy have some fun. What's so? Why is that bad? I don't get it. It's You're, definitely yeah, not yeah. bad, considering when we meet them in Picard, they've had the tragic loss Mm -hmm. of their son like i i enjoy getting to see Riker and troy at multiple points in their relationship and if we just focus on the tragic parts well you know it's not as interesting Uh, in my opinion because you could do it you could do nothing but tragic and you know life is i'm just gonna say life is kind of difficult enough as it is (laughs) dealing in the middle of a pandemic where you know, I'm not trying to be political, but we're maybe like 40% of the country thinks it's not a big deal, even though we have like 50,000 infected a day. So it's like, I don't want to see more terror and more horrible yeah. news in the show. And it's like, yeah, what happened to Shax and Rutherford is bad, but it served the point of the story. It wasn't just mm-hmm. gratuitous. Like, I still think the whole Echeb thing and Picard was gratuitous, but this wasn't. This was part of yeah. the story because it's encouraging other characters to kind of grow and develop and react to things around them. Like, I'm sure we all thought like the way they had Rutherford and Tendi kind of growing closer. I'm sure everybody's like, is there gonna be like a weird romance here? And bam, no, there is not. And I, I, I like that because it's fighting that trope that they could have just done that if they wanted to. Because, you know, Ray, you were joking before about sometimes some of the modern television feels so corporate, like there's somebody with a clipboard. Mm-hmm. Okay, we got to make sure that we've got this person and this person. And this per- oh, we need a romance, mm-hmm. and they could have easily done that, and I'm glad they didn't because now there's a long-term impact to Rutherford and Tendi. And I'm not saying I'm glad something bad happened, but I like seeing characters kind of overcome challenges. Definitely right. It's a- I well- absolutely adore long-played romances, especially in animation. You know, Derek compared the show to Futurama earlier and Leela and Fry's relationship is amazing because of all the fun stuff they get to do between point A and point B. So like if that's the plan, if Tendi and Rutherford are long term plan, then I want it like really long term. I want to be invested in this. I don't need it right here, right now. Well, it's because like it's that battle though of yeah. you never know when your last episode is going to be. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, like they had the advantage of getting t- a two season order. So they knew they were going to have another 10, 12 episodes to play with after this. But most shows don't get that chance. And so if you know you want these two characters together, you kind of feel like you have to do it now because you might not get another chance. Right. But now they know. The problem. Yeah. They can let them kind of like grow, learn and develop, which is what, you know, real people do. Right. And it's the reference I've always done for romances. Remember Star Wars A New Hope when Han and Leia first meet, they don't exactly like each other. You know, she thinks he's kind of arrogant. She thinks he kind of flies off the cuff. He thinks she's kind of haughty and blah, blah, blah. But they grow and learn. Like, that's what humans do. (laughs) They're not just... Very rarely do they just have that instant connection. And Mm -hmm. even through this, they're kind of growing and learning. And it's real. I like that. Yeah, relatable and human. And... Um, to piggyback on some points we made up to this point, since we're talking about a little bit about Tendi now and Rutherford, um, I I love that there are consequences, and I love that this feels real, and yet I love that this still embodies the optimism and hope that is Star Trek, and I think a lot of that comes through in Tendi's character. And in this episode, we see two examples of this. Tendi is um, training a new cadet um, named Pina Hamper, of all things, and there's this moment. It's in this the scene. perfect name. <laughs> it is. It is. Oh God. And and there's this moment in the sick bay where where Peanut Hamper and the doctor are really hitting it off, and you see this panic and and Tendi, and then she's like, and a patient confronts her about it, and she's like, I'm not worried. This is this is great. You know, this is like the best cadet training experience ever. If if I'm successful in this, and so she's not she's not uh, threatened by the success of others. In fact, she celebrates with them, which is really beautiful and very trek. And then at the end of the episode, like there's this gut wrench, what I thought was going to be a gut wrenching moment between her and Rutherford, where she's realizing, oh my God, like you don't remember our friendship. And she does not let that get her down. She is so excited. She's like, oh my God, we get to become best friends all over again. And and then later you see them in the bar and they're drinking and she's like regaling him with tales of everything that's happened in season one at this point. Like nothing can keep Tindy down. Like as far as Lower Decks is concerned, Tindy is the Federation to me. So with that, I want to ask you guys, because I ran a couple of polls on Twitter and in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash red shirts and runabouts. Come and join us and talk track. Who is your favorite of the four main lower deckers? You've got Rutherford, oh, Tendi, Mariner, Tendi. and Boimler. All right. Easily Tendi. Okay. Yep. All about Tendi. Wow. So all four of us say Tendi. That's very interesting. So yeah, I agree with you guys. Definitely Tendi. So in Facebook, Rutherford won. With a three-way Rutherford is fun. With a three-way tie for the other three. And then on Twitter, Mariner won and Tendi took second place. Uh so I just thought that was kind of interesting. Huh. And I was curious if anybody else had a different favorite. Because yeah, for Tendi, she she is my favorite because of her optimism, her her outgoing personality, her just excitement at everything around her. Not that Rutherford's not equally excited about things. But just the way she goes about it, the way she handles her relationships. He can be more detached. You know, he can. And maybe that's just the cyborg aspects to him. I think I liked Rutherford the most mm. when he wasn't doing his normal job. You know, when he was like on the date, yeah. on the date with the he's, trill. He's very or, much the. Right. You know, or the holodeck stuff or, or whatever. Like those are the times I liked him the most. He's very much the data slash doctor of of this track or Spock of the show and that he's like slightly unique and, and less than human, but like is a mirror for humanity in, in that regard. Mm-hmm. 
I also, Tindy really was solidified for me in the second to last episode, cri uh, Crisis Point, where, you know, she kind of speaks out to Mariner against the Orion stereotypes that Mariner keeps throwing around during the, the movie on the holodeck. And I appreciated that because up until now, they've kind of ignored the fact that she's Orion, which at least for me as a fan is a huge deal because we rarely get to see Orions at all, let alone have one be a primary character and have one be in Starfleet. Right. And so I was hoping we would get to talk about that a bit and they waited until episode nine to do it. But I appreciated that she stood up for herself and, and said that, you know, not all, all Orions are the same, you know, obviously there was a joke in there, but I still liked it. So I fell in love with Tindy. Um, I believe it was the second or third episode where she uh, just wanted to spend time with her friend. And instead of watching a meteor shower, I think, uh, live from, you know, the window, she watches it on her computer instead so she could spend time with Rutherford. Because to me, Tendi isn't just like a big bundle of optimism. She's the type of person I want to be. She's kind and she's adaptable and she's always willing to learn instead of ready to prove who she is. So I like that's just the kind of person I'd I'd rather be. And it, it was just that that one little scene how they ended i was like oh well, that's really sweet that's really wonderful well and that's something that i think a, like a real friend would do you know mm -hmm. and that's again that's the reality part of where the, you can actually see the people interact and you know i i don't know i don't know how this if i can word this right like beckett mariner is actually my least favorite of the four and i don't say I, I think it's almost and i have a hard time saying it it's almost just want to be like i'm like all right just stop talking like stop with the noise every so often because I know what they're trying to do with the character, but then you get the, the moments between Tendi and Rutherford and even a few other people that Tendi kind of represents that optimism that Star Trek always had where she's trying to achieve like the best possible outcome, which to me is a very Trek thing. And I don't care if it's animated. Mm -hmm. she, you, can, you can feel the emotions and I don't know if it's because the voice actress is so good, but feeling her interactions with people and even when you know Boimler is just the bumbling idiot and Tendi's always kind of like building them up and you know it's trying to relate with them and interact with them and I, that's very Trek to me um so yeah I mean that's Tendi's and yeah the Orion thing I mean the last Orion we saw on screen for real was 2009 Star Trek and mm -hmm. she was in there because Rachel Nichols is gorgeous and J.J. Abrams has used her plenty of times in films and shows but then she disappears. <laughs> yeah. It's because they're just doing the throwback to the original series Orion Girl thing with Kirk, and then she disappears. We do get a, a, a very small glimpse of Orion's in Discovery, but it's very small. And then you have Enterprise, there's one episode, nothing in TNG Voy Voyager or DS9. You know, so they're, they're limited. Well, DS9 talks heavily about the orion syndicate that has every fucking species instead of orion yeah i know it's so weird like, how hard is it just but, to paint somebody green come on <laughs> right right it's not that difficult that's got to be cheaper than klingon prosthetics you would think so or designing a completely new forehead of the week you know but what do i know right or so, even even uh changeling prosthetics yeah 
So uh, Greg was talking about how Beckett is his least favorite. And I, I definitely have to piggyback off of that. And I think it's because if I had seen this as a teenager, she probably would have been my favorite. I loved the rebel character who was, you know, the asshole because it was cool. I wanted to be that person back in high school. I wanted to be the jerk that people still thought was cool. And now I'm just over that kind of attitude because in the end, it's a very superficial situation. You're, you're masking true emotion. You're masking sadness and vulnerability and uh, probably a lot of fear. And that's not real to me. It's not fun. It's not appealing anymore. I would rather see someone be who they are and not put on any shows. And I feel like Tendi doesn't do that. She's okay with being who she is. If that means showing weakness at times. And I think I, I yeah. that's why I like where the show, the season ends between Mariner mm-hmm. and her mother, because they come to an understanding about who they are. And I think it gives Mariner an opportunity to not have to be that way anymore. It gives her an excuse to not have to just be a bad officer all the time, right? right? Because it's kind of a weird situation. We haven't really had people serving under their parents on Star Trek much, right? You did have Wesley, but again, he never directly reported to his mother. And he was barely, he wasn't really, you know, full-time crew member for most of the show anyway. So it's kind of a unique situation. And I like the idea of the two of them working together, Freeman and Mariner, to balance what Starfleet does well and what it doesn't do well, because the show has actually called out some of the problems that Starfleet regulations may have, like the idea of non-interference, but eh, sometimes it's interference there, you know, just kind of when it's convenient to interfere, we'll interfere. Right. Right. Freeman's line about Starfleet having a policy of some interference. And there was a lot of, a lot of shade thrown on that. Some. And it's a good line. It's a very important line. And I think it, they stick it well in that scene too, where Mariner talks about right. how, you know, they're not good at maintaining, right? We're good at exploring. Yeah. We're good at finding new stuff and then moving on to the next thing. And well, they call back to that at the end of the episode when they talk about how we can't just assume that people are going to keep doing the right thing a generation down the road. Like it shouldn't be wrong to check in and do some maintenance with these people who may need help. And I took that very personally as like the return of Star Trek because mm-hmm. that's what Star Trek did from 1987 until 2004, 2005, excuse me. Right. That's what it was there for. It was there to show and tell stories about what it is to be a good person, what it is to try and do the right thing, even when it's very difficult. And then Star Trek disappeared. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, it came back for the 09 film, but let's be honest, the, the, the Kelvin trilogy doesn't really have the time to dive into real ethical, moral dilemma. Right. No, they try. They make a good effort at a few moments. But it's but a two hour movie. You know, what are you going to do? You need big yeah, set pieces. We're talking about and, six hours. You know, right. We're talking six hours of content versus like, you know, 13 hour seasons. But D- Discovery and Picard have taken a darker approach, an edgier, grittier approach. And I think Lower Decks is calling that out. I think Lower Decks is standing up and saying, well, maybe this is what we need to be doing now because we can't just let people sit around and hope that they remember. Well, and, and Mike McMahon, yeah. you know, one of the showrunners for this, has been a lifelong Star Trek fan. And I know that even if I didn't know him from past work and his comments, I can see some of the love and attention they've been putting into Lower Decks 
And I, I don't know if I don't know if I ever shared this with Zach and, and Ray, but I think I shared it with you, Derek, is the Cerritos is a California class ship. Cerritos is a city in California. And that follows standard naming convention for ships, or usually you have a class of ship, which is named after a state most of the time. And then the ships of that class are named after a city. Like that's happened in Star Trek a lot. And I mean, that they do a lot of these throwbacks in there of what Trek used to be. And, I, and that's where I think Discovery and Picard kind of lost me sometimes is, you know, the, if you're going ultra dark, that can work if you have to deal with the consequences. And that's, you know, my concern with Picard right now is, you know, you got two murderers on the cast that they have no, have based no consequences. And I don't like that, but this show, we're already seeing consequences on an animated show that I don't think anybody expected. I don't think anybody expected Jax. I don't think anybody expected what happened to Rutherford. Um, hell, even including yeah. an exocomp crewmate, which mm -hmm. yeah. is even better because the whole the whole schlock with Picard of not using AI and an exocomp is a living machine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and bam, right. it's peanut hamper. <laughs> it's it's an yeah, it's an exocomp that I remember that next generation episode. I was like, oh, yeah. oh these things are great, and yeah. then I felt like sad when one yeah. sacrificed itself. Mm -hmm. Bam! Right and here it is, and I know that some I know production in Hollywood. Not everybody who's involved with the show is like a Star Trek fan. That's unrealistic, but this show's got too much nostalgia, where the creators obviously love Star Trek. Yeah. So Derek, I agree. I agree with all three of you. They're trying to inject a little bit of kind of the, the good parts of Trek we've always known and bring it back to life in their own way. And I think it's working well so far. Yeah. And to kind of... I have, I have, two, I have oh, two thoughts on that yeah. real quick. First first of all, the Exocomp thing. I love that this episode introduced the perfect deus ex machina to get rid of the Packwood threat. And this deus ex said, eh, fuck it. No, that doesn't sound like fun. I don't want to do that. Peace <laughs> out. And just basically shirks the responsibility. Like it, it was a perfect setup and then a perfect delivery of, of expectation. And, and I love that. Uh, and then my second thought on all of the, the, the optimism and the consequences of it all, when we first started reviewing this podcast, you know, 10 weeks ago now, uh, or first started reviewing the show on the podcast 10 weeks ago, I said that, you know, I'm enjoying it. I'm here for the ride. I'm not like, I'm not offended by it, but I'm not super impressed. But to me, this is just like the animated feature before the movie that I showed up to watch, which is Discovery season three. And, and now after 10 episodes, I can say, you know what, I, I am more than pleasantly surprised by how Star Trek and how awesome this whole season was, especially, especially the way it all came together in the final episode. And, you know, you talk about these people knowing Star Trek and some of the details they've thrown in, you know, for example, to take the Cer Cerritos even farther, all of the shuttles are named after national parks in California. Right. Whereas like on DS9, all the runabouts were the na were named after rivers on mm -hmm. Earth. But there's some other things in here. You got the TOS joke, those old scientists. It's a brilliant joke, mm -hmm. right? Because it makes the acronym TOS canon in Star Trek, which is the most meta thing possible. And it does it in a silly way, right? Without being too self-referential. You've got yeah. the it is officially canon now, the Star Trek space fun helmet from the 60s if you don't know what this is 
you got to look it up. Billups is holding one in the, in the big scene where, where Mariner brings all of her contraband out and they're about to fight the pack lids, you know, hand to hand. Billups is holding a helmet that has like a siren light on the top of it. This was a real toy yeah, marketed yeah. towards children with Spock written on the front of it because apparently that was something he wore off screen, I guess, in some, in some episode. <laughs> it's real. It's a, it's now canon. It is an actual device that exists in Star Trek and you know those types of yeah. details like the enterprise theme song is now canon well dude yeah i mean the, the the whole thing of enterprise you know is canon the idea that people in starfleet watch star trek <laughs> is now a thing that happens in canon that's a crazy yeah. concept right that is such a crazy idea that you know these characters are watching their colleagues their history in the holodeck they're taking a part of it in the holodeck you know, the wouldn't you absolutely yeah. love that? The whole like the victors have written history, like it's so frustrating that we we don't truly know what happened at this or that. And I would love that. I would love to go back and have something to to know the truth behind some of these huge defining moments in our world history. Definitely. Oh, yeah, it's a Definitely. cool concept. I, I, I honestly hate the reminder of what is arguably the worst Star Trek finale ever. <laughs> but, 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 but now we know what Riker was doing when that was filmed. And then immediately afterwards, he went to go save the Cerritos. And that's kind of cool. And he just, he just does these <laughs> things. He, you know, pe people are just watching these things take place. But it's the references to it. There's the music, right? There's the motion picture uh, theme song. There's first contact theme song in here when the Titan is fighting. There's just levels of detail that either take somebody who has a lot of care and professionalism and what they're doing and, or is a huge fan, right. And knows the material through and through. And I think that's what makes lower decks work. I think it easily could have been a show that makes fun of star Trek rather than a show that mm -hmm. laughs about the fun of star Trek. Well, and even the episode with the Drithmani when they're, you know, they're using their tractor beams to hurl debris at the Cerritos and for like 15 minutes, the captain's doing everything she can to find like a peaceful solution. Like I got that reference. The reference is because it's kind of a little shot at Picard <laughs> where, you know, whenever he asks Riker for an idea or Picard Worf for an idea, Worf's immediate response is we should fire all weapons. And that's what Shax constantly does. <laughs> and this is one time where like Shax and Ransom are like, uh, okay, so we need to do something. Mm -hmm. And she just keeps delaying and delaying and delaying. And it's not because they're trying to make Freeman look inept. It's because they're, they're poking gentle fun at the fact that a lot of Star Trek stories were, even when the Federation had a legitimate reason to fight back, they didn't. Yeah. They just would kind of take their punches, even though your brain's like, this really, you know, I always go back to like a real life reference. Imagine if somebody's firing like a machine gun at a U.S. Navy ship and the Navy, the captain's like, yeah, whatever. I'm not, we're not going to respond. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like, when you think about it like that, right? And right. Then, and that's what this show does a lot of, whether it's, you know, poking fun at, a good fun it's not insulting it's a good it's enjoying their memories of past star trek whether it's you know making fun of the captains a little bit or joking about the famous heroes you know in one episode they're naming off like 10 or 12 major characters in the past you know that they hell they even did a joke on the one episode Landrew. yeah the Landrew. um landrew was great that was really funny when they were talking about uh like favorite warriors or something and boimler's mm -hmm. like oh roga danar <laughs> right and she's and she's making but i love that because my one of my good buddies brent and i joke about rogue danar all the time because he beat the shit out of Worf and a bunch of other people in the enterprise 
<laughs> and they even joked like, oh, you only like him because he has nice hair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's, see, that's fun. That's fun referencing of past Star Trek that they're not, if you do too much, then it gets old, right? Then it sure. just becomes, well, this isn't Lower Decks. This is just a Star Trek Next Generation fan film. Right. But when you do it in a way, like the four of us, when we're talking about movies, we're referencing past events or whatever, it makes it feel real. And that's what they're doing. They're talking about stuff that we would talk about. So we, we still have some other stuff. We need to talk about disco and things like that. So I kind of want to wrap up the Lower Decks conversation. So I thought we could all go around real quick. Final thoughts on the season and any like, particular moment or two that just really stuck out to you as something that you enjoyed, that you really liked, or that surprised you in some positive way. And uh, Greg, since you know it's been so long since you've been on the show, we'll start with you. So I, everybody probably will... If you've listened, you probably know I wasn't the biggest fan of Lower Decks when it was first in creation. I kind of thought they were just, I was worried it was just going to be Rick and Morty in space. And when I took a chance and dived into it, it's so much more. I mean, yeah, you can see the elements because Mike McMahon created Rick and Morty, okay? So he can't, can't avoid that. But there's too much homage to Star Trek of past characters, past events, referencing what's going on in the universe. The Cerritos being a city in California and a California class cruiser. There's too much love given to this show where I have to say of the three newest Star Treks, Discovery, Picard and Lower Decks, it's my favorite season one of all of them. Big stuff. It's surprised to me the most. Ray, what about you? Uh, I think. I have to agree. I thought the first episode was a little rough and um, I think every episode got better as we went on. I think that there's a lot of heart in this little show and it's just going to continue to get bigger and bigger. Uh, My favorite moment is still the reveal that Miles O'Brien is the most important person in Starfleet (laughs) to ever serve. You stole mine. (laughs) suck it no that makes sense because we're husband and wife and we think very much alike at this point zach what about you oh man i mean i kind of already said earlier that i i loved that you know my expectations were blown out of the water there is a lot of heart in this show like ray said um i love that you know i had minimal expectations this is just supposed to be an animated little cartoon before the feature film and yet i it's some of my favorite track, especially after the way the season ended. Um, and uh, I guess my only last thought on this season is you guys have seen this because I posted about it in our group, but um, I know it's, it's a small, like, you know, Venn diagram of people who watch both shows, but Jack Quaid is also on the boys, which just wrapped up their second season um, on Friday. And I, I tweeted out and I added Jack Quaid. I said, you know, between Lower Decks and the boys, I'm a little concerned that Jack Quaid is going to be typecast as a person who makes, you know, big, unique career choices in the season finale. Because there's, I don't want to spoil the boys, but like he makes an unexpected career leap and, you know, in one of the last moments of the boys season finale. And, and so between that and, and Boimler joining the Titan, I, you know, it was a dumb observation. I didn't expect it to, to land, but Jack Quaid saw the tweet and liked it. And I was like, Hey, validation. <laughs> a Star Trek actor liked a tweet that I wrote about his Star Trek and another role. And so that was fun. 
Well, I'm with you guys. I, I really enjoyed it. I actually rewatched the whole f- first nine episodes before watching the finale. And uh, I think I liked it more the second time around because you start to see more details in the background and more references that you missed because it's a fast paced show. It's only, you know, 25 minutes. So there's a lot going on in these stories. And, you know, for me, it's a combination of the visuals and the sounds just being right. You know, they it looks like it belongs. It looks like it was meant to be there it exists in that universe without question but i love the holodeck stuff they steer into the holodeck stuff you know there's badgy and maybe it gets a little crazy but you know the idea that there's always problems with the holodeck and no matter how many times somebody is killed or close to being killed or their body is absorbed into energy they keep using holodecks it doesn't matter they're just going to keep pushing forward with the technology and i'm a sucker for a holodeck story. I think they're a lot of fun. I think they create a lot of freedom for the writers and the characters to play in. And I love that, especially with crisis point kind of having like the movie, you know, with the lens flare and all those types of tropes, it was just a lot of fun. So I think that's the key is that this show has been a lot of fun with some, some heavier moments here and there and some, some big stakes, but we have more to talk about. So we are going to take another short break. And when we come back, we will discuss what we think or want out of Star Trek Discovery Season 3 before we say our goodbyes. We'll be right back. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, we're back. Let's talk disco. So Star Trek Discovery Season 3 premieres this week on Thursday. Part of the 23 straight weeks of Star Trek, which is pretty crazy. We haven't had that in a long, long time. And we know bits and pieces about the show at this point we know that they have jumped ahead almost a thousand years over 900 years into the future we know that the federation is very different than it was before some type of cataclysmic event has occurred that is shattered throughout the galaxy possibly destroying types of technology and ships maybe i don't know who knows we know there's a cat grudge cat you can follow grudge cat on twitter uh, that's a, that's a thing. Uh, Grudge Cat follows me. I'm very proud of that, by the way. So you know, just gonna shout out to myself. But I want to go around and just, what do you guys think <laughs> is is in store for us at least early on in season three, or what do you want out of season three of Discovery? And this time we're gonna start with Zach. Hey, uh, so I'm excited. This was it, it's kind of become the show that I always wanted. I think season one was a little rough, but it ended strong, and season two. Uh, wasn't perfect, but it brought a lot to the table. I had some complaints, but but I mostly enjoyed it. But you know, now that we've leapt forward into the future, I am I'm very excited because I always wanted something that was you know post Nemesis as a show. Um, I am interested to see this new Federation and how they're kind of down and out. They're a little bit smaller. Um, the trailers that I have seen thus far have been uh, very exciting for me. It, it seems like we have some darkness and some you know uh, opposition and yet some um good old-fashioned 
Roddenberry optimism kind of infused in there as well. And I think if there was ever a time that, you know, Trek is a reflection of our times and which we've already touched base on today, but um, if there was ever a time we needed a reason to hope for the future, uh, I, I think I think 2020 is definitely one of those times. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this very much. Greg, what about you? Uh, ditto. Because <laughs> one of my biggest complaints about Discovery, and I know it's a super sensitive topic, and Derek, you and I saw some of the conversation on Twitter about it, with when it comes to discussion of canon, whether we want to admit it or not, the vast majority of fans in any universe enjoy canon because it helps build up their characters, it helps build the stories, it helps them understand where things come from. You know, Superman is a boring superhero without knowing his background. You know, about Krypton, about his love for humanity, about trying to do better, about trying, like, without that stuff, it, it's meaningless, right? And, I mean, it's not meaningless, but you kind of get what I'm meaning. We, we get to learn more about the character. With Discovery, they were in that weird time where they're, po like, where were they in the Federation? The things they do kind of impacts the other stories. And, you know, Derek, you and I used to talk about, like, a lot of the events that happened. We're like, man, you really think this would have come up? Like in other episodes for how it's just like, you know, what was one of the most important events about America? Like, oh, World War II. And people are like, well, what was World War II? Like, we, what? But now that they've jumped into the future, they can start doing things and taking chances without worrying about any of that nonsense. Because one of the things about Star Trek that they've constantly talked about is that, you know, the future isn't written. You kind of control your own destiny. Mm -hmm. So now they can do this. Maybe the Federation's gone. Maybe it's, you know, Remember, remember Crazy Riker and Parallels? You know, the Federation's gone, the border everywhere. I mean, <laughs> maybe it's something like that. I, I don't know. But they can take those chances without being tied down to, because I agree with Zach. We've had enough prequel nonsense, okay? Let's, let's do something where we can build our own storylines because you're going to run into some issues where you have a ship that's a thousand years old. So, like you said, Derek, there's going to have to be some technology changes. Or, you know, the Enterprise C, they even said in yesterday's Enterprise, the Enterprise D was like five times as powerful as the Enterprise C, and that was like 30 years. <laughs> so yeah. they can do that and take chances. And maybe for those of you listening, I'm also a big Warhammer 40K fan. You know, something happened in the universe of 40K called the Age of Strife, where like technology collapsed and people didn't know how to build things anymore. So technology didn't advance. They could do something like that where technology across the galaxy was impacted by, I don't know, blue space beam from the Marvel universe. <laughs> and the discovery is there to help them. I don't know. So yeah, I'm looking forward to the fact they can take more chances and really explore the universe. And they can also have some fun with it. And what I mean by that is they could, if they meet the remnants of the Federation or whatever it is, the Federation might talk about, oh man, you think this is bad? Wait till you talk about the, the 93rd war with the Dominion or something. And they're like, well, who's the Dominion? So yeah, they can have some fun. And I hope they do. I hope they they let let them explore more than what they've been kind of doing. Ray, what about you? What do you want to see? Oh boy. Okay. So I have to agree about the whole prequel thing. I am never a fan of writers purposely boxing themselves in. And between season one, season two, and now the jump between season three, it's very obvious that there was some back and forth fighting among the writer's room and execs about whether or not they should go forward or go backward. 
And while I'm super excited that we ended up getting Lorca because Jason Isaac is amazing and Anson Mount as Pike is amazing, I am much more interested in going forward because the unknown is very appealing to me. Uh, all the stuff that I see in the background, you know, the Andorian to the new character side is appealing to me and you know how that planet that they land on looks is appealing to me so i i'm very interested in what this new season has to offer um and of course i'm just really excited to see more burnham i think sonequa martin green plays a very nuanced and detailed character and then of course doug jones is amazing so he he is probably one of the best actors they've ever had cast on uh star trek so watching him is just a pure joy i'm so glad he's getting this role to really shine because usually he's the one-off creature of of a movie and and Mm -hmm. this 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 show has definitely given him a chance to shine. Nah, he's wonderful. And you know, if you, if you take apart the trailer, it looks like he becomes captain at some point. So good for him. That's really exciting. Uh, yeah. Doug Jones is wonderful. I, I'm with all of you guys, you know, I, prequels can work. I'm not saying they can't, but especially with discovery, they, they fit such a small window. You know, I would have been interested in an Excelsior show or an enterprise C show. And those are prequels, but there's enough space there to tell stories without feeling boxed in, you know, whereas here, like not only is this like a 10 year gap, they pick a type of propulsion technology that's so sophisticated and advanced to never have heard of it ever again. Seems silly. Yeah. Especially when you have a show like Voyager, where like that type of technology would have been pretty freaking (laughs) important. You think they would have tried to build that at some point, you know? And so it's consistency becomes a problem and here they don't have that, right? They have that freedom. And, I'm a little frustrated with the way some of the people have framed that as, oh, we, wa- we, we did this because we wanted to break free. Well, but it, it was also up to them. To, the right. Yeah, yeah. It was their calls, their show. It wasn't up to us, right. When the show was going right. to take place, you know? And so, you know, whereas like lower decks technically is a prequel, right? It takes place before Picard and that's okay because there's a lot of space there. They're doing different things. They're not the, the, biggest greatest there's no galaxy ending consequences to what they're doing right and that works they found room to to grow and room to move for this i i mean i don't know what to expect moving a 900 years is a huge time jump it's the farthest in the future we've ever seen star trek that's beyond the enterprise j that we saw in enterprise the universe class starship that's absolutely massive you know that dwarfs any other enterprise we're beyond all of that and I don't really know what to expect. I I do think that they have some some things they have to tie up, right? There's the uh, the Calypso short treks episode where the Discovery is just left adrift for like a thousand years with no crew. So I assume that yeah. means that at some point our crew gets to go home, right? You've got Georgiou who is part of Section Thirty One. She's getting her own show, so she's I assume going back at some point as well. And I want them to be careful with that. I want some consequences like we've been talking about, right? The big problem in discovery is, well, you killed off Giorgio, but then you immediately brought back a different Giorgio. 
You know, you killed off Culber, but then you brought back Culber. You almost killed off Saru, but he's fine now. Right. And, you know, who'd they kill? They killed Landry. We don't really know Landry. We barely knew her. Yeah. Right. She dies in episode like four of the show, of the show. <laughs> we didn't really know her. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, they killed off- Arium. Oh, right. Ar- right. Arium, who we get one episode of any actual information of, and it's the episode that she dies in. Right. Absolute yeah. horror. I'm like so angry. <laughs> I shut off the TV. It was like fuming. I wouldn't even talk to Derek because I blamed him for making me watch it. <laughs> I knew it was going to happen. That's fair. But you know, that's, that's how fair. they did it, though. Right. You know, they killed off Lorca, but he's the bad Lorca, which means the, the good Lorca is so still we, out there somewhere. Right. You know, I want I want something that that sticks, something that holds with the character we really care about. And it doesn't have to be death. Right. It's like Rutherford. It doesn't they don't have to die, but they do. I do need them to overcome some things that have to do with with hard stuff that they're going through. They're going through a lot of stuff. OK, yeah, we need consequences. You know, they're about to leave everybody behind. It's essentially what Voyager went through. But now with serialized television, right, they're leaving behind their family, their friends, all of their loved ones to never for, for as far as they know, ever see them again because they've all been dead for 900 years. Well, and, and yeah. that's and that's what I hope one of my complaints I had for seasons one and two was the show was relying a lot on they were telling you something, not showing you something. And I think now this isn't like they were talking about relationships or history and all that. They would tell you, not show you. This is an opportunity where they kind of have a fresh start. They can do a lot more showing. They can show the consequences of what's going on in the galaxy. They can show the consequences of what's going on in the Federation. They can even do something as simple as, you know, it could be kind of tropey, but they're going to, one of the crew, you know, they're going to, they're going to meet their thousand year descendant. It's going to happen. I don't know who it's going to be, but it's going to, it's going to be somebody that's like, Hey, you are the reasons this all happened. The crisis we're in now started a thousand years ago when you and your ship disappeared. Something like that's going to happen. And if it results in consequences, it could be fun, but they got to show it. What they, what I don't want them to do is do like an hour long episode where they talk about how bad things are. I'm like, no, 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 no. Show us. <laughs> this is your opportunity. You can be as creative right. as you want mm-hmm. without risking. They have the yeah, means. They have the means. Now, I want to piggyback on something you were saying, Greg. Well, go ahead, Zach. I don't don't want to change topics yet if you have something to say. Oh, no. Yeah, I just had one other thought, like piggybacking on what you were saying. I actually – I'm with you. I want consequences, but I I was thinking back to that short trek, and and I think that that may have been a bit of a misnomer or, you know, a a mislead. Like, I think at some point they're going to have to abandon the original ship for whatever reason and that within the show we're going to get the Discovery A um and you know i feel like the the reason they threw that out so early was to give us a reason to like dread something bad happens to the crew but like it could be a positive thing that they abandon that ship for whatever reason and and i hope for that too because i am with where the show is now the discovery is so far in the future and we've got all this room to to kind of flex and again we, we've gotten attached to this crew the crew has really developed over two seasons and, and i love a, a lot of them and i hope to learn more about some of them that we don't know about um i'm i'm willing to forgive all of my concerns and and and, and canon misgivings about them boxing themselves in like you said um solely on the fact that we're getting a pike show um starring anson mount like just the fact that that's happening it never would have happened if they had started in the future where i wanted that's true so that's true I, i'm 
I'm willing to give them some leeway and, and I'm, I'm hopeful and, and I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll see more consequences um, uh, as Discovery moves forward as kind of their, their flagship show at this point. It's a very good point. That's a very good point about, about uh, Strange New Worlds. That's fair. So I do want to ask you each a question. Now we are like 900 years, 930 years in the future, but there are some characters who theoretically could show up at this time period that are existing canon characters because either they're not organic or they have very long lifespans for certain reasons. Is there a canon character from any of the previous shows that you would either like to see or you know would be happy to see show up in season three of Discovery? Is it too Andrew. easy to say Q? I, I mean, I don't think it's too easy. No, no. I mean, he could easily be there. No, no, that uh, was a joke. I, I would prefer Q. Q is my answer. I was just being a smart ass because it ties into the, the episode that we just watched. Um, yeah, I, I would pick Q because honestly, uh, I like things that make sense. I'm not a fan of just bringing things back to bring things back for, you know, fan service, but Q, Q makes sense. He can fit. It, any Q could fit. They could do more Q. All the Q. All the Qs. All the Q. Whole continuum. Well, and John Delancey is just so charming. And they could even do something. Yes. Don't even, and don't even de-age him or don't even use him with makeup. Just show him up as his current age. And if somebody's like, well, I thought Q yeah. didn't age, he'd be like, oh, I'm just trying to fit in with you humans better. Boom. That's all it takes is a 20 yeah. second one off now absolutely and he's got such a presence about him he would nail it yeah, he would nail it now i you know <laughs> i this is my original choice despite the fact what happened in picard not data i want lore to show up really i would mm. love if somehow lore because aside from the fact i like it when they let you know brent spiner use emotions <laughs> like there was something I enjoyed about the evil and version of an Andrix. So I don't, I never actually thought lore was evil. I thought lore was just, I mean, he did evil things, but I think it's because he legitimately bought into the fact that I am the superior life form, kind of like Khan, where, you know, you disassembled me. Now, now I want my vengeance, things like that. You know, he's floating around in space. They find him, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Is that somehow he was involved with whatever happened to the Federation? I think that would just be, it won't happen. But what I don't want, and this is what Ray, I don't, Ray, I don't want to speak for you, but I think this is where you're going, is what I don't want to see is like Cyborg Worf, who's a thousand years old, and he's like, I have regenerated. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> yes. Like, no, no, no. That, That'll be the death of Star Trek. Like, that would just, like, he's got like a mech body or something. I'm like, <laughs> it's like the Kingdom Come Batman. Is yeah, that what I'm we're like, talking about? This, I'm like, no, don't. And I, and uh -huh. I know I, I'm saying it because there's some producer out there wanting to do that. Yeah, or wanting fair. to wanting to bring back like side Jordy's already a cyborg. Just give him a cyborg body. I'm like, no, don't bring back LaForge. No, they, they got to do something like a. And if you're gonna bring back Worf, go back in time and give him his own captain show, like we've been talking about. <laughs> yeah. Zach, do you have anybody? Uh, yeah, I would go with Q. Okay. I think I think I was lagging a little bit when you first posed the question. Gotcha. Um, yeah. I, I uh, my internet's been spotty tonight. I hope it doesn't mess with the recording too much. But no, my, my first what, what I was gonna say at first was I was gonna say Landrew. 
yeah you know, bring, yeah. bring back bring back landrew but uh no like I, I would definitely go with q for the same reasons that ray mentioned i love john delancey he's fantastic it would make sense he's immortal there's no reason not to he's a he's a wonderful actor uh he's trek experienced so yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of hit on two different things the character i want to see and the character i expect to see so the character i want to see is Guinan. We know that they live to be hundreds and hundreds of years old, right? We get to see, like in Time's Era, we see her, you know, 300 years earlier, she looks exactly the same, right? And so her species could be alive and they don't have to de-age her either because she can now be an elderly version of her species at this point because she would be, you know, 1200-ish years old or whatever. Yeah, no, I guess she, I guess she'd be, you know yeah 1200 years old give or take right maybe that's about as long as they live they're kind of like wookies or something i don't know so i think like that could be really cool it's an opportunity to bring Whoopi goldberg back when there's already been talks about her coming back in, in picard anyway she's a very very good actor who is a character playing a character that i've always wanted more of i want to know more why is q afraid of her right what can she do that would threaten a cue. I've always needed to know that. And so I'd like to see that. But what I expect to see is I expect to see Dax. Oh, right. Right. Because they've already, you know, Dax has already had eight hosts. Right. And there's really, as far as we know, no limit to how many hosts a symbiote can have unless, you know, they, they die before a new implantation can occur. Right. So we left off with Esri. Obviously, Esri would not still be alive, right? Trill have approximately the same lifespan as humans. But this could be, you know, the 15th host of Dax or what have you. And that, that character would have all of the memories of everything, you know, going back. And I think that's very, very likely because they could cast anybody under the sun to play that character. It could be a man, a woman, a non-binary person. It doesn't matter, right? And they could you know have that be a small connection to star trek history so that's what i expect to see maybe we'll see like the horta a nice throwback to the original series where <laughs> <laughs> the horta claims vengeance on the federation i like it i like it. i'd watch that oh yeah i'd watch that no i think you're right i think they are gonna bring back like a dax um and you know i yeah i would not be surprised to see that guinan would be great Guinan and Q would be fantastic, especially because you can literally do anything with them. It's a thousand years in the future where mm -hmm. we finally learn what Q, maybe Guinan and her people exist like beyond the continuum somehow and Q can't impact her. So it scares interesting. them. I mean, they That's could an do, interesting idea. They could do something like that. And that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I will throw an honorary mention out to the EMH doctor, Robert Picardo's character from Voyager because he's a hologram. He could still be alive, you know, as long as his mobile emitter has been updated over the years. There's no reason to say he can't be around, you know, and maybe he changed the way he looked at some point down the road to match a spouse of his or something. I don't know. Right. If they don't want to bother de-aging him. It's Harry Kim and he's still an ensign. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah harry Kim, he harry slept with an alien that somehow made him immortal but he's still <laughs> never been promoted that's what it, that's that's got to be it that's got to be what it is garrett wang would come back for it right wouldn't he oh yeah what else yeah. is he doing i mean he's doing the uh, delta flyer podcast the star trek voyager podcast and he does lots of right. fan stuff but you i know? meant 
like as far as acting is concerned, like he's still very much involved in the Trek yeah. community. So like, of course, of course he would want to jump back into a Trek role. I'd could. be fine with it. I'd be fine with that. Oh yeah. Me too. Anything else on discovery season three or lower deck season one that anybody would like to, to say. Okay. Just that I, I think the discovery people who I think they can learn a lot of with what lower decks is doing, even though it's animated. Because I think the I think the issue with Discovery is I think it's had good moments. My my problem, and I know you guys are probably tired of hearing me say it, is some some of the bad moments in Discovery were bad. It's not like some of the bad ones were neutral; they were just bad. And Lower Decks has kind of shown that you can take certain chances without being too goof, without being too odd. But you know, it's the, again the thousand years in the future, and it, it's airing what in four days, right? Well, it'll it's yeah, it's Thursday. So we're recording on Sunday. Comes out Thursday. This episode drops on Tuesday. So two days from when this episode drops. So we'll know soon enough. But uh this this is the end of our episode. It's been a long episode. You know, it's a good way to to close out the show. And I wanted to just give everybody an opportunity if they'd like. They don't have to, to just if there's something you'd like to say about the show or anything about your experience on the show before we close things out one final time. Don't all speak up at once. Yeah, I'll start then. Uh, it's been a lot of fun uh, getting to talk Trek with you guys for years. Uh, Greg, it's nice to be uh, back uh, recording a podcast with you again. Um, and Derek and Ray, it's always a pleasure. It's been a really good time. We've been doing this for a few years now, and it, I, it's been my pleasure to be a guest host. Um, for all of you listening at home, you can't see it, but we're all we're all signing our names while the Star Trek VI uh, um, theme plays in the background. It hits at my heart when I watch that scene. Every time. <laughs> always, always. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's been a blast. And, you know, Derek and Ray, I know you guys do a lot of podcasts as well, and you know, when we talk about sunsetting red shirts, I'm one of those people in the typical Star Trek fashion. I never say anything as a goodbye or over, um, you know, and without I don't like to share too many personal details, but we've all got a lot of some interesting personal challenges at the same time that we're sorting through. And I think, you know, once we get a schedule going, who knows, we could come back in a month. We don't. It's entirely possible. Maybe not a month, maybe like six months or a year. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I this is something that I got very passionate about. And Derek, I was I was pretty consistent early on and from my career took a really bizarre every every time there was a hurricane my job's like go like isn't there anybody else that can go why is it always me and you know it really interfered with my ability to record but this was a great episode to come back on you're the upper decks crew <laughs> no, yeah. you're the you're, you're the only guy in the quadrant that's what it feels like yeah <laughs> but no it was great and especially ending with an episode like this where we get to enjoy what lower decks is we get to talk about what discovery season three could be um and again you know it's you know what Kirk said at the end of Star Trek Six. You know, second star to the right and straight on till morning. Who knows? You know, remember once upon a time we none, none of us ever thought Star Trek TV shows would be back. It's true. You know? yeah. And so I never want to say red shirts and runabouts is never coming back. It's just part two is to is TBD. <laughs> I like that. Ray, what about you? Well, um. <laughs> I guess the only thing I have to add is I just want to thank you, my my wonderful husband. I know that podcasting is a passion of yours, but I also know it's not easy. 
And, you know, the Heroes Podcast Network is your baby and you've done such an amazing job with it. So, uh, you know, forever, thank you for having me be a part of it and wanting me to join you in what is probably like the most personal fandom interests that you have. You know, you've you've told me many times just how emotionally connected you are to Star Trek. So the fact that you want me a part of it is uh, such an honor. So thank you. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate all of you <laughs> very much for doing this with me over the last three years. You know, Ray, Ray's right. Star Trek is incredibly important to me. It's probably the the most important fictional thing in my life, right? Star Trek's always been in my life. I don't remember a time without it. You know, my earliest memories literally are watching Star Trek. And hell, we, we named our, our first daughter after a, a Star Trek character. So, you know, it's it's always been important to me. And I love talking about Star Trek. I do. I love talking about all of it. The stuff that's good, the stuff that's bad. Sometimes it's maybe a little more fun to talk about the stuff that's bad, but um, it's, it's fun. It, whether it's the shows, the movies, video games, even the toys, some of the weird toys that they've had over the years. And I'm, you know, podcasting is hard. It is time consuming. You know, there was a time where I was hosting three different shows at the same time. It's a lot of work and I've tried to scale stuff back. And Ray and I will still be doing Screen Heroes, which is the longest running show that we have on the Heroes Podcast Network. We're going to be doing episode 221 this week, which is pretty cool. And, you know, my goal for every show I do is always to hit 100 episodes. That's my first goal. That's goal A. And we did it. We did that here with Red Shirts. We hit 104 on the show. It may have been a challenge getting there sometimes, but we did it. And we've done some cool stuff along the way. Was it a long road getting from there? To oh, you here? stole! I was gonna close out the show that way, man. Oh man! That's it. You stole! It you stole my closing line. Oh, I don't, just cut that out. I don't even know what to do with you anymore. <laughs> I'm a terrible friend. But uh, no, it's it's been it's been a lot of fun. And to Greg's point, you know, look, I I love doing this, and that means that I don't really want to stop doing it. I just feel like I need to right now to be able to focus on other things. So yeah, maybe maybe another time out there in a post-pandemic world or something along those lines, we'll be back doing this under the Red Shirts and Runabouts brand or another name with another logo. I don't know. But you know, we're not going away forever. You can find us all on social media and we're keeping up the Facebook group. You know, so Facebook.com slash group slash red shirts and runabouts. Come talk Star Trek with us. We'll be talking disco. We'll be talking more Lower Decks and Picard and Prodigy and anything else, Strange New Worlds, whatever they want to throw at us. We'll be talking about it in that Facebook group. So please join us there. It's a good time. And I'm on I'm on Twitter. Talk, talk to me about Star Trek. I am the Star Trek dude. That's who I am. I am the Star Trek dude. You can come talk Star Trek with me. Zach is at Avenger ZS if you want to talk to him about star trek or doctor who or any number of nerdy things that he's into you can find ray at siren ray she is getting very hardcore into star trek as of late thanks to yours truly she's finished you know ds9 we're on voyager now she's she's been watching disco and lower decks and picard as those come out so you can follow her there 
and Greg is at the underscore, excuse me, at the underscore Bittersteel. You can talk to him, of course, about Star Trek and, you know, Game of Thrones. It's a little passion of his. Tiny bit. Just a tiny bit. But, you know, look, we, we wish you all peace and long life. Live long and prosper. Jolan true. All good things must come to an end. All of those Star Trekky tropes. But we will be out there somewhere and you can talk to us. Thank you, everybody who listened to the end of this episode and has followed us along for these three years. We will catch you later. Thank you.